my name is Tony Smaniato. I'm with Studley and I'm co-chair of the Programs Committee along with Megan Marshall from JLL. Raise your hand. And Margie Kurkowski of Wright Hammer Architects. So thank you all for coming. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Next month we will have another exciting program called Chicago Icons. What's old is new again. We're going to have uh, some representatives of some of Chicago's great icons uh, here on the panel to discuss their, how they keep their properties fresh and new and modernized and talk about uh, rebranding, remarketing, uh, some of the great properties you know in Chicago here. Uh, today's program is being podcast. Uh, we have an extensive library of past podcasts, so check in the Cornet on our website and listen to earlier podcasts if you'd like. Uh, if you have your MCR certification, please check in with Beth at the front desk. You'll receive an hour of credit for today's lunch. And we encourage your feedback at the end, so please fill out your paper surveys. Today's topic is Panduit in the Winner's Circle uh, with their new high-performance global headquarters in Tinley Park. Uh, today's luncheon also has a very special sponsor, uh, the village of Tinley Park, Illinois. A special thanks to Ivan. Ivan Baker, where are you, Ivan? Ivan, thank you so much to you and uh, your staff. <laughs> Ivan's worked tirelessly to help pull this together uh, and he put together an outstanding program. We also want to welcome all of our special guests from Tinley Park, including Mayor Zabraki, Trustees Leone, Hannon, Maher, and Grady here in front of us, and several uh, members of the village staff who are attending today. So I've known many of you in this room, uh, for some of us, uh, we've known each other over 20 years. And maybe what you didn't know is, as I burst onto Chicago's real estate scene in the 80s, that was supposed to be funny, burst. When I burst onto the scene in the 80s, uh, what most of you probably didn't know is that I, I grew up in, I lived in, and I also even worked for the village of Tinley Park in my youth. I had the privilege of working with some great people while I was there, uh, from fellow staffers, managers, trustees, and especially uh, with Mayor Ed Zabraki. I'd like to introduce Mayor now. Mayor has been a, uh, an elected official in Tinley Park since 1977, and he's currently serving his 31st year as mayor. He's a retired counselor from Brother Ice High School. He's been a leader in promoting quality education, regional cooperation, fiscal management, and for sure, economic development. Under his leadership, Tinley has grown from a very small town to become the 20th largest city in the state of Illinois with a population of 57,000 people. Uh, quite a different community than it was when I, when I was living there. Tinley Park has been recognized by the U.S. Department of Commerce as national winner for economic development excellence by Bloomberg Business Week as America's best place to raise a family and by the National League of Cities for Municipal Excellence. Mayor Zabraki is currently chairman of the Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus, and he has served as an officer with the Illinois Municipal League, Cook County South Suburban Council, and South Suburban Mayors and Managers Association. By promoting a strong fiscal policy, Ed has helped ensure that Tinley Park has a credit rating in the top 5% of all municipalities in the nation. He's a notable model of excellence through the recession with surplus budgets, no tax increases, no municipal layoffs, and net new businesses each year. His leadership and results helped him gain status as one of the top 10 mayors in the United States, according to the World Mayor Project in London. So will everyone please join me and our NASCAR family, the Bettenhausens and Mayor Zabraki. Please join us at the dais, Mayor Zabraki. Before we get started, how about we draw the winner of our tickets to the uh, STP 300? Thank you very much, Tony, and thank you very much for that introduction. I, I might mention that while I was uh, 
lunching with Tony earlier, and uh, we're talking about his former employment by the village. We're trying to figure out what he actually did for us. And there was a big gap in the conversation. So I'm not sure what that means, Tony. But anyway, uh, we have a little raffle with us. You may have noticed that there's a car parked out in front. If you didn't notice it, you may have heard it. And uh, we hope we didn't break too many windows out there. Tilly Park is the home of the Bettenhausen family. And the Bettenhausen family was involved for many, many years with the Indy cars in uh, Indianapolis. And if, you ever have an, if you're an Indy fan at all, or a NASCAR fan at all, we have a very nice museum with some of the old uh, Bettenhausen uh, Indy cars, if you'd like to come out sometime. Anyway, we have a raffle for two tickets for this summer in July for the NASCAR race at the Chicago Land Speedway. Why don't you, sh okay, and we'll go from there. Okay, let's see who we got here. Tony, I'm going to give it to you because I don't have my glasses on. We'll continue on. We'll continue on with the program, and I would what I'd like to do at this point in time is to introduce the uh, moderator of our panel today, and that's Pat, Pat Turnbull, who is president and chief operating officer of the Kalen International, a leading uh, workplace strategy and furniture distribu dis dis distribution company headquartered here in Chicago. Pat has 22 years of professional experience as a business leader. She joined the International Facility Management Association in 1993, is past chair of the IFMA Foundation, and served as its board, on its board of trustees from 2004 to 2010. Pat is currently an active member of the Chicago and Northern Illinois chapters of the IFMA, and serves as a task force leader for the IFMA Sustaining Sustainability Committee. Pat has been recognized by Chicago Women in Real Estate Association, a recognized speaker and author. Pat has a master's degree in business and is a lead accredited professional. Pat's company played an integral role in the Panduit Corporation headquarters in Tinley Park, and we'll be moderating our panel. Please join me in welcoming Pat. Good afternoon. Keep going. Okay. Thank you so much. A very tall podium. Should have worn my super high heels. Yes. In 2010, Panduit completed a remarkable workplace and brand transformation. Early in the planning process, the real estate and facility team made it a point to understand the strategic direction of the company, what the goals were, and then they drove the C-suite understanding of how the company could parlay the vision of a new headquarters building into a truly sustainable, world-class work environment for Panduit's employees. They leveraged their real estate project to deliver a building which incorporated advanced building design, integrated workplace strategy, and an environmentally sustainable, healthy work environment 
in order to support the goals of the company. Global vision, brand messaging, innovation, collaboration, sustainability, and operational efficiency. These were the goals that the leadership at Panduit deemed critical to Panduit's future growth and success. Today, key members of the project team, and of course, the distinguished mayor of Tinley Park, uh, are here to discuss the vision and the steps that were followed to successfully complete this five-story, 280,000 square foot, 800 plus employee lead gold project. My name is Pat Turnbull. I'm the president of Kahan International. Kahan, along with our partner Hayworth, were lucky enough to be selected as Panduit's global partner for furniture, architectural walls, and raised access floor. Our panel today includes Darren Norbit, Director of Global Real Estate for Panduit. Kevin Hoffmeyer, Senior Manager, Global Facilities for Panduit. Carrie Johnson, Senior Associate at Gensler. Susan Cortez, Vice President, Corporate Accounts for Kahan International. And of course, the Mayor of Tinley Park, Ed Zabraki. Darren, will you start us off by telling us more about Panduit and the forces that led to this remarkable transformation? Thank you, Pat. Uh, welcome, everybody. Can everybody hear me in the back row? All right. Um, so Panduit is a uh, homegrown company, um, similar to uh, some of the stories uh, uh, the mayor will tell you. Panduit's been around for, for a long time and started in Panduit. Started about 1955 and it is still a privately held company. Chairman of the company, uh, Jack Caveney, is still very active in the company. And uh, the roots of it is, is right there in Tenley Park. We were located about five miles from where our current location is. And uh, through the course of about um, you know, 30, 40 years, we, we actually uh, grew the building about 27 times. And, and in that, um, organically grew the employees and, and the products and the solutions. Uh, we started out with a couple of hundred, and now we're, we're probably close to about 5,000 uh, worldwide. Panduit, as a, as a company, is a uh, solutions provider for wiring and communication products. So that spans from data center to uh, industrial solutions to uh, electrical products. So what, how I like to refer to it, we're, we're that uh, technology backbone that, that kind of runs under the floors, above the ceiling, uh, behind the walls uh, that you don't really see, um, but you need to trust that it's, uh, it's there and it's working. And that's similar to, I guess, Panduit. Uh, we've always been a little in the background. Uh, the mayor could probably attest to that. We, we were that little company that a lot of people didn't know uh, what we did. Some thought we were in the government sector, I think, um, because we were so private. And this was our chance, really, to, to get to the forefront of, uh, of uh, products and solutions. So, so when we started down this journey, I was the project manager from the real estate team. 
that uh, had the task of, of putting a, a vision uh, behind us. And, and really that vision started with, with the leadership team. And what we needed to do was to have some organizing principles, similar to a, a movie that uh, to start with you think of it as three acts. Um, we, we wanted to think of uh, our vision broken down into four guiding principles. I think Pat had mentioned those. And, and what I uh, discussed with the leadership team was um, what did they really want that, that building and that new headquarters to represent so that I didn't have to spend the time going through each detailed drawing with them, each, each plan, each different layout. I said, let's get some guiding principles and then down the road, every now and then we'll do a gut check and make sure that, that what we're doing is in line with these guiding principles. If, if it wasn't, you could, you could correct me um, and, and you can tell me I'm off base, but if, if not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move along and I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep this project rolling. And those four principles really were global vision because we were a global company. We wanted to represent not only Tinley Park, the Midwest, the US, but, but the, all the countries that we do business in. We needed to showcase the innovation of, of our company and our partners and our vendors. Um, Panduit is a distributor-based uh, company, so Really, it requires you to be in tight with your partners and vendors. Collaboration, at the time, I was uh, convincing them to go from a primarily office-based, private office setting to an open workplace. That required a leap of faith, and, and how I sort of um, set, set it up was that it, it really was going to encourage more collaboration. And then sustainability, and sustainability in the broadest sense of the word, in that w as privately held, we work on a year-to-year -year, uh, budget-based planning. Uh, we don't work per quarter, um, and, and they look for long-term investments. We, we, we own the land, we own the building, and, and they wanted uh, with that a 30-year master plan. And to do a 30-year master plan, I had to make sure that I was doing everything in a way that allowed me to grow and scale with the business and, and also with the requirements of technology that, that was changing literally uh, by the day. So, so this is the main entrance um, of Panduit at the time, and uh, you can see it says corporate entrance right there. Um, this is when you first walked in, and, and there was this little sliding glass door uh, that would get slid open and welcome you. And we, we had, really for our technology and how we, we spread information was a typical chart. Um, this is not my office, but this was typical of, of what we had. The focus was on manufacturing. Our core business is to manufacture products, and any office was built in support of that. It wasn't built um, in, in support of, of a new way of working, more built on, hey, uh, you, you got to be close to manufacturing. Manufacturing is inside the building, and, and there's no windows inside the building. Um, so, so that was the marching orders really for the past 30 years before we got involved. Um, this was a cafeteria and uh, it, it was well lit, but again, um, not well lit by, by daylighting um, and, and not really um, in line with, with what we were looking for uh, to attract that next generation of employees. Which, uh, you know, that's another, when we committed to Tinley Park 
and committed to, to staying in location. We also wanted to attract and retain in that area. We wanted that to become the new technology corridor, and it, it's well on its way right now. And we were looking to draw those engineers from the typical northwest suburbs and from downtown, and this cafeteria just wasn't doing it. Um, <laughs> so what we're all up against was global trends. Uh, we'll go into this further, but really, um, the headquarters was a, a vehicle for change in, in not only our uh, company, but also other companies. We took this as an opportunity to change a lot of different ways of what we were doing. We, we instilled new policies around printing and copiers, getting rid of desktop printers. We, we went to a more open environment, 90% open versus um, what it typically was, was about 10% open. Uh, we changed our phone technology. We really used all the innovations that were going on around in the world as, as an opportunity to change us and also showcase those back-of-house products that, that Panduit makes and, and really put those to the forefront of everyone's thought in the design uh, and, and the planning stages. So I'll, I'll pass this over to, uh, to Kevin, who will really kind of walk you through the changes that were happening on the IT front. Right, so I, I get the fun part. I'm the, the engineer behind the scenes, so I get to kind of, this was my playground, if you will, with the new headquarters. So, and I also had one of those offices without windows. So my wife would call me from time to time and say, it's really pouring outside. I wouldn't know, <laughs> it's just awful. So when we look at the changes in IT technology, it's kind of interesting, and we even learned as we went through this, that uh, we, we set up our data center for our, our final loading, right? And we're assuming all the servers are going to go in there, all the, the different machines. Well, lo and behold, things are changing, right? So we're trying to virtualize a lot of the, the programs. Uh, we push things out to the clouds. We now have Blade servers, right, for the IT people in here, so we can really condense that uh, uh, kilowatt per cabinet, if you will. Uh, the other thing that was great, and we'll talk about this more later, was the uh, prolifer can't even speak, proliferation of the Unified Physical Infrastructure, which is UPI. And so we'll talk about that later, and that was actually bringing the IT as well as like the building automation folks together. And we put all systems on one network, which was unheard of in the past, and I'm sure some people are still working from that old model. The other thing we did was with that unified physical infrastructure, uh, we did things like voiceover, right, which people are switching to right now. We went to power over Ethernet. So when you look around our building, all the badge readers, all the cameras, um, the phones are all powered by the Ethernet cable. So it was great. We didn't have to run extra cabling for power supplies, things like that, to power those devices. Uh, of course, open standards, we, uh, we were a big proponent of open standards. Some of our legacy buildings are actually uh, proprietary, which if you work on those systems, you're kind of locked in with that supplier. It makes it very costly. You can't really uh, be flexible to go elsewhere. So we wanted to have open protocols so all systems could share data between them. And it kind of sets you up for later if you want to do some middleware or things like that or diagnostics, you can really grab that data much easier. Next slide, please. In designing the building, one of the things that we also had to look at, if you can think about uh, Tinley, our old corporate headquarters, started in 1955. And like Darren talked about, built on 27 different times. We've got a lot of generations in that building. 
So we had to actually look at all these generations and what makes them tick. Uh, we know what makes us tick, but we had the people, if you look over here on the left, they were actually the decision makers, traditional kind of styles, right? Traditional kind of management. And then you look over to the right, you've got the, the future here with the Gen Y kind of people. And so this was an attempt, when you look at the entire project, which Carrie will go through here shortly, to try to match and meet all of those different needs for all those different generations. So with that, to Carrie. So we have a vision, and the client, Panduit, is committed from the top down. And before we even started the design, we added to the team of Panduit, the client, Gensler, the architect, and Kahan, the interior furnishings. Uh, we added the engineer, uh, affiliated engineers, and we added the construction company, power construction company. And so we were on board before we even began the design process and could check this thing all the way through. So what is the solution? This was the first time that Panduit would have a ground-up, standalone building, not attached to some uh, manufacturing or distribution facility. It needed to be a productive and healthy place to work. As Kevin said, it needed to showcase Panduit and its tech leadership. It had to be a sustainable and efficient place to operate. And finally, they were committed to Tinley Park. And thanks to Mayor and his group, they stayed in Tinley Park. Thank you. Tinley Park has a rich history that goes back to the 18, 1845 with the German immigrants coming over from Germany and from Europe for religious freedom. We know that Tinley Park's vision as a quality community with a strong business climate. We've always worked with companies, whether large or small, to make sure that we attract them to our community and to sustain them. We developed an economic development committee well over four decades ago. And basically, we have three principles. It must be a quality development. It must broaden the tax base. By that, I mean commercial, office space, warehousing, so that depending upon the economy, we can still sustain it. And probably number three, which is kind of homesy, but kind of gets across the idea, enhancing the property values of all of our homeowners. Our attitude is, if it improves the, our community, if it improves the individual homeowners lot in life, whatever you want to call it, we want to have that. We also looked forward to an incentive policy. And when this was developed, our big concern was we want to make sure that it is a performance-based policy. Basically saying to a corporation, to a business, to a commercial entity, whatever it may be, if you make money, we make money. We'll share that with you, but you must make it first. And with that in mind, that's the way all of our incentives have been set up whether they deal with the automobile industry that we have along 159th Street, or even with Panduit and some of our smaller, uh, smaller entities in town. So we have a long history of working with the business community, and we are very, very anxious to work with Panduit. Quite obviously, Panduit had some offers from other cities, other villages, and other states. And we, uh, we appreciated their commitment to our community, to Tinley Park, we also wanted to make sure that we extended a hand to them to make sure that we, they knew we wanted them to be with us. So we worked very closely with them. And we worked with Will County and many other entities, school districts, et cetera. 
we uh, provided a village property tax reduction for 20 years. We provided sharing of sales tax revenue for up to 10 years for their procurement operation. We saved a little bit of money for Panduit by taking over the retention ponds. A small thing, but yet it was significant. We had broker meetings to make sure that the county and school districts provided property tax reductions. And number three, we worked with the state of Illinois in bringing the EDGE program together. But I think what is important in overarching this, and I have to give our economic development people with Dave Seaman, Trustee Dave Seaman, who couldn't be here today, and with Ivan Baker, literally what these folks do, put everybody together in one room. Okay, now what do we need to do? Let's get it done. And we don't leave that room till we know what each person's job is and when we're gonna meet again and pull it together. I think the other, other overarching issue that I can't stress enough is I have a village board that is a cooperative village board. We work together and that makes a big difference. Our differences are not political. Our differences may be philosophical but we work together and that is that team effort that we think that starts with the trustees, with the board and filters down to all of our staff. And I think that's what has made us a very successful community in maintaining a double A plus rating. Uh, we ended up this year with a $3 million in the bank. Uh, we have reserve funds and our basic philosophy is if we don't have it, we don't spend it. Very simple. And that has worked well for us through the years. Thank you. So the team gets started, and we looked at three different sites, and this is the site that was selected. It was the largest site, it was 52 acres, but only half of it could be developed. As you can see, right there in the middle of the site is a pond, all right, and that's where the building needed to go. So, <laughs> but within the rules of conservation, we moved the pond and we moved the wetlands to create a space for the building Thanks again to the village of Tinley Park who worked with us. Another consideration was it's in a very busy location. It is surrounded by very busy roadways and backs right up to the I-80 corridor. So sound was also a factor. And then over on the right hand side of the slide was the Windy City Campground. <laughs> and that's a famous campground for Margaritaville. Uh, when the Buffett concert comes to the World Theater and the, the, and the Grateful Dead, the campers came in for a week and they created their campground for that series of concerts. And between the village and between Panduit, they worked out a deal not to close on the land till after the last August concert. And then they closed down the campground and it became wetlands. <laughs> so. The next slide. This is the fully developed left hand or west part of the site. Uh, this shows the full uh, construction when the 30 year phases uh, kick in. Uh, it is 500,000 square feet. That's how it will all be parked. The first phase, which holds the 800 employees and 280,000 square feet, is the bottom white phase one building. It includes the link between the phase one building and the future buildings. And the building was to be uh, developed and designed to accommodate 
all of the workforce and the employee issues that Darren has talked about. And I put up there once more reiteration of the city participation and city cooperation. This was, as I said, an undeveloped site. This was going to be a lead gold project. These were concepts that Tinley Park had not come up against yet. And rather than say, we don't know how to do this, they sat at the table with us and we worked through it and now there's precedence and there's some great opportunities for the next developers. As I said, the site is uh, Lee Gold. Um, it is, uh, all the site rainwater is collected, it's controlled, and enough of it is kept to irrigate the property. The rainwater on the roof is also collected, all right, and the building was designed to use that collected water for what we call gray water or for flushing the toilets and the urinals. But there's a backstory to this, and this is Kevin's story. <laughs> yeah, well, again, when we were working with the village at Tinley Park in ourselves, we had never worked with uh, a rainwater collection system. So we actually came to Chicago with uh, a lot of the folks from the, the village, and we actually looked at some different installations. We were able to ask a lot of questions how to make this successful. Um, I'm not sure if people in the room are aware too, but it's actually permitted, I think, through the state under the Pool and Beach Act, because we really don't have any regulations for the rainwater harvesting for the non-potable use such as ours. So Carrie alluded to, it was for the toilets, but if you look in the picture, you can see that green roof area. There's a lot of sedum there. And this sedum starts flowering, right? And we have a little bit of soil underneath the sedum. So when we would have a rain event, you can imagine we get a little silt in the water, even though we filtrated down to like 50 micron, and we got a little coloration to the water. So people were going into the bathroom and flushing two and three times before they would use the facility. <laughs> so he said, this is kind of not working the way that we wanted to conserve the water. So we worked again with the... Uh, I didn't the, hear this story. Oh, you didn't hear <laughs> That's good. So we did work with the village and the state uh, to repurpose this. And it actually worked out really well. We're using the rainwater collection, which we have two 1,500 gallon tanks in the basement. We collect not only the roof area that you can see there in the picture, but we also collect the groundwater from around the building. And we now use that for our cooling tower makeup water. So for the engineers in the room, it works out perfect. It's, it's soft, it doesn't have all the minerals that are gonna you know, come out on your cooling tower. So we found a nice solution for that. So, as you can tell from that conversation, we are working for scientists, engineers, and inventors. And that's always a challenge because they have some great ideas. And you leave the building and you come back a month later and it looks a little different because they've been turning valves. <laughs> but um, uh, to have a client that takes that good care of their facilities is a treat. Uh, this really, I, I put this in here because it really shows how we use the roof not only to collect the rainwater, but it was planted with the sedum, as Kevin says, and is an attractive, practically no maintenance or uh, mechanical equipment on it uh, type of roof to look down on from the office tower. This is a rendering of the site, and basically what you see here surrounding the building, the five-story office tower, 
and the link uh, that contains all the amenities and the green roof on top is the only part of the site that's really planted, landscaped, and maintained that way. The rest of the site is all natural. So if you look on the left, I think I was alluding to this earlier about the uh, disparate systems and many people I'm sure are still operating this way right now. So the legacy systems, I know in our, our previous headquarters we had special closets for our BAS equipment that our group maintained, not on a regular basis, you know, and we didn't always monitor the temperature of that telecom room. IT had their own closet our security personnel, they had their own area. And of course, everything was wired up independently, right? They all had their own operating system. No one could interface between the different systems. So if you look on the right, this is actually what we went after with our new headquarters, which is unifying all of that physical infrastructure. And again, it took a, a very collaborative effort between all the different groups. And, and if you knock down, drag out, I don't, Maybe I shouldn't put it that way, but we were locked in a room, <laughs> kind of like Mayor was talking about, and you're not going to leave the room until you figure things out. So it worked out fantastic uh, from my perspective that, uh, for example, all of our systems now are in the data center or the telecom rooms. So they're backed up on a regular basis. Uh, they're in a climate-controlled environment. We don't have to worry about those types of things anymore. Um, and again, there was a little hesitation by IT of bringing all of this stuff onto the network, but when you work together, it, it flows very well. And um, I'll pass it back to Carrie, I believe. Great. Um, I love this slide because alongside of each other, the exterior and the interior. The building and its interiors were designed together from programming, planning, and the actual design. It was a seamless solution by the same team. And when you approach the building and you come into the building and you walk into the reception area and up to the office floors, it's a one-time continuous experience. There's no change in the experience. And I like the picture on the left because the building crops up in the middle of the farmland. Uh, you're driving down uh, the roadway and you go, what's that black? box off in the distance. Hmm, wonder what that is. And, you know, it's popping up out of the cornfield. Thanks to crop rotation, it's in its bean rotation, shorter crops, we can see more of the building from the road for a few years. The lobby is really the client zone. Um, the employees come in uh, to other entrances from the parking lots further north into the link, which connects them up to the office tower, and the visitors uh, enter through the front lobby. The lobby is immediately about technology, as you can see. And it's there where they meet with their clients, they educate their clients, and they demonstrate to their clients. The floor plate was fashioned after the program. The size and the shape, which is just about 50,000 square feet, was a response to the global workplace strategy for their work area. This global strategy is the basis and the foundation for their workspaces around the globe. They execute and roll out this strategy wherever they have office space around the globe. 
usually attached to some kind of warehouse distribution facility. As we said, this is standalone. Uh, the floor plate is narrow and long. It is a response to making sure that everybody has access to light and view. It's a 90-10. It's 90% open plan, 10% private office. Those private offices are on the interior along the core there with glass office fronts. The workstations, and this is a change too, uh, are uh, in the exterior with access to the light and view and only 48-inch high panels. All right. So even the person in the private office, 55 feet away from the outside glass, has access to the light and view. And then finally, um, the uh, collaboration zones. They're the north-south zones that split the floor plate into neighborhoods. And that's where the uh, meetings go that are occurring in a more formal manner versus what's going out in the open plan. And this building, because of the program and its shape that ultimately resulted, the bay sizing and column spacing is unique. This is a 34-foot bay. This is not a 25, 30, 35. This is 34 feet because that's what fits the open plan workstation clustering and gives them ultimate flexibility. They never work around a column. Daylight harvesting, part of the LEED program. The glass is mostly clear on the outside and very tall. Um, it allows the natural light into the space where the light fixtures are on photosensitive uh, uh, controls that allow those fixtures to be turned off when you have plenty of daylight and that daylight can get all the way to the interior. Also on that daylight sensing are the roller shades on the outside, which are lowered when there's too much light, okay? And then finally, you can see on the right there kind of a shelf. That's the light shelf. That's the, the reflector that grabs as much of that natural light and reflects it clear back into that space 45, 50 feet away. So that was part of the um, uh, program. The next one is the floor plate that we talked about and the blue loop, the blue uh, stars and the connectors there is the infrastructure using Panduit's unified physical infrastructure uh, that is set in place at the beginning of the project under the raised floor. All right? That is the more permanent part of the raised floor uh, in, the, in the infrastructure. It gets more flexible from that point on. The raised floor, as you can see there, is quite tall. It's 18 inches high because it's not only the power and the technology distribution, but it's the uh, air distribution. So this has underfloor air distribution. This is the raised floor from Hayworth, all right? Um, and it shows on the left there, that is a zone distribution box. That is a connection point that's permanently wired through all of their product out to that point that they developed at the same time as this building was being designed. And it was designed to be a junction point in the above the finished ceiling, but was adapted to fit in the raised floor. And from that point, we can feed a dozen workstations with shorter cable lengths and reconfigure the open plan and reconfigure the technology only to that point, not back to the core, not back to the mainframe. 
And then in the right, you see the sketch that allows us uh, from the HVAC mechanical standpoint to heat and cool only the portion of the space that's occupied by the people working there. Um, we can use the underfloor distribution and the controls by the individuals. This, is a, this was a worth another lead point, was that they can adjust the amount of airflow through the floor diffusers you see there uh, to their individual offices and workstations. So this is the finished product on the interior. We're standing out by the exterior wall, looking back over the workstations to the interior private office. The private offices are all the same size. They're 120 square feet. There's a few now that are a little bigger during the programming process that, that Darren would probably say, you know what, do it over again. We probably could have gotten by with one size fits all. The fronts and the sides of those offices, the walls are demountable partitions also from Hayworth. All right. So it's a really integrated solution with the walls, the floor, and the furniture all being from the same manufacturer. And Sue a little later is going to tell you how the uh, interiors were laid out. And I talked about those north-south zones being the meeting rooms. Those are also demountable partitions. Those can be reconfigured. And I think if we went back to Panduit today, less than two years later, they'd say, okay, we could probably do it this way. After two years with the use, we could probably rearrange those to be more effective. This is a good slide, too, to show you where nothing touches the outside wall. No workstations, no offices, no meeting areas. Everybody has access to that outside wall. And there were some firsts as far as the amenities, many of them located over in the link. Uh, there are cafes now on every floor. They've never had a place to get coffee and beverages within their work area. They always went all the way back to the main cafeteria. There's a wellness center in the link, uh, which will be up and running in the future. There's an employee cafeteria that's quite extensive and a really progressive, uh, delicious food provider that went through lots of consideration when they were selecting it for this new building. There's an outdoor terrace for dining and entertaining and just taking a break. And from that terrace, you can get to the walking trails that weave their way through those new wetlands. This is the, uh, you saw the original cafeteria. Well, <laughs> this is the new one. This is the servery, uh, and uh, it has a wonderful uh, look and feel and delicious food and very well lighted and very well laid out. The actual dining room, very large, not only accommodates the staff that work there now, but will accommodate the staff in the future when they add to the uh, next phase. It is also encouraging for the people to go down there during the day and grab a beverage and meet with their teams in that space. It couldn't be a nicer space to meet. And I've been to several uh, programs where this is where they entertain, they demonstrate, they have conferences, very client-focused area. And then finally, the outside shot. This is the terrace outside of that link with the dining room and the meeting areas. And it's a little wintry there in this shot, but it's a wonderful place to meet. And with that, we can talk about what Sue's role was. So as part of the uh, Panduit team, uh, we were charged with um, 
developing the furniture and the demountable walls for the space. Um, Panduit was very concerned about making sure that the people that were in the old space coming out of private offices were seeing their new space as a give back and not um, that things were being taken away from them. So with that, we wanted to make sure that the space had the right feel. And as Darren notes in the comment on, on the slide, that the look and feel of the entire space is very important. But what the employees are touching and feeling is the furniture. And they're sitting in the workstations, they're you know, in their chairs, and they're, and they're touching the work surfaces. And so that's very personal to them. And we wanted to make sure that these people coming out of office space were able to have the right environment to work and collaborate. And they didn't have that in the past. So um, for that reason, Panduit decided that it was important to bring the furniture team in very early in on the pro process. So you're looking at a photo of the finished space and the, and the floor plans. And we really worked very hard on three zones. The private office zone, um, which had two sizes of private offices, like a 10 by 15 nominally and a 15 by 15 office. And in that core space, we had a nine foot high ceiling height. And so we were working to come up with a standard for both of those office sizes in the wall panel system that was flexible and was able to be changed so that if down the road moves or changes needed to be made to accommodate different groups of um, people, we could do that in different size offices. Um, as well, because we had demountable walls, the furniture within those walls needed to be flexible as well. And um, so we had to be very thoughtful about the way we designed the offices to make sure that when we made those changes to the demountable walls, the furniture could go with it. And the furniture was really the same in both offices. And just by adding and subtracting pieces from our kit of parts, we were able to accommodate those changes very easily. The second zone was the conference area that you heard uh, Carrie speak of in the Bay Area that divided up the neighborhoods. And um, those bays were at a 10 foot six ceiling height. And so what we needed to do was think about how are we going to be able to reuse product at a 10 foot ceiling height and product at a nine foot ceiling height. So we developed a wall at nine feet and created a stack on top of that so that not only could we use those panels in the 10 foot high ceiling area, but we could reconfigure and use those panels in the nine foot ceiling area. And it was also easy from a functional perspective because what we had was um, you know, moving a 10 foot six wall around, kind of difficult. So it gave us a lot of flexibility with movement of product from floor to floor as well. The, the last zone, the third zone, is the workspace zone, or the neighborhoods. And that consisted of six by eight workstations, and we had two workstation styles. There was the collaborative workstation, which is an L workstation, and you can see it on the left there, which you have four L workstations that wrap around a central table that people can, can share and work together and collaborate. And then there's the private workstation, which was really more for those team members that needed more heads down focused use. And that was more of a U shape. Again, the same size. And what was important about our role was making sure that within those two different workstation styles, we had a kit of parts that could work within both workspaces so that when we wanted to change a group from a, maybe a private workstation to a collaborative station, we had the ability to take those same parts and pieces and reconfigure it quickly. Um, one of the examples is if you look on the left, you'll see the, the storage towers on this. That's, that's actually in the private workstation. And um, 
what we did was in the um, collaborative station, we had them on the main spine run. So that really reinforced the collaboration of the workspace. And then what we did in the private stations was we moved them off to the wing of the workstation so that it created more of a private environment within that workspace. So you're seeing the finished product here, but in the next slide, we're gonna show you kind of how we got there. Um, we were brought in early, like I said, and um, Panduit had um, us in part of a bid where there were three manufacturers and Hayworth and Kahan were awarded the, um, the project. So as part of that, um, once we were awarded, we sat down with the team and developed a pilot program, an actual working program for the Panduit employees to test and use. Um, it was about 5,000 square feet and we actually went, took space out of the manufacturing facility in their then current location and rebuilt that vision for the space. And that vision was raised floor, carpeting, the, the furniture, the demountable walls, the lighting. So it was a, a real almost cross-section of what the space was going to look like. So once that space was built, Panthet said, you know what? We really need to be thoughtful about the, who we put into the space because um, we want to make sure that the people we put in the space are um, the people that are going to give us feedback and have had some experience in other office environments and that can share with us what's really going to work the best. So they were brought in, they moved into the space, and then we, they had time to you know, kind of get used to the space. And we sat down with them, we did evaluations, we did site visits. We actually had a couple of our design meetings there, which was nice because we got to live in the space a little bit too. And, um, and talk to the people and find out what was working and what wasn't working. And if you look at this, this um, photograph, you'll see that um, that collaborative station that you're looking at, there's a white panel, and that's actually a marker board panel that we put in the station very early on. And what we found out when we put that in there and we had the team members working in there was that that panel um, was really hindering collaboration. So we made the decision to, to remove the panel and put mobile marker boards into the space. And we sprinkled those throughout the space and um, they were able to move those to conference rooms and, and, and it, it was a lot more flexible environment. Some of the other things that we did were, um, we had to really take a hard look at the storage. These people were coming out of offices and you know, technology really changed the amount of storage space that they needed, but um, we wanted to be careful and consider all of those, those items that they needed, not just filing, but storage of personal items as well. So we started out with open storage towers that um, had a bookcase in it, and we ended up with closed storage to give them a little more security and feel secure about leaving things within their workstation. And then lastly, the, um, the work surfaces. We started out with wood, and the senior management really wanted to project a certain image and show that they were giving back to the, the staff members so wood became a, a priority and we started out with wood in a lot of places. We had it on the, the fronts of the panels, we had woodwork surfaces and we had the wood storage towers and um, we ended up with laminate surfaces and all of our vertical tiles on the exterior as well as the vertical storage pieces had a wood front. So they still got the look of wood and they still had um, that feel that the executive management team want, but we, we realized some cost savings as well as some durability with work surfaces that were now laminate. We're going to keep things moving because we're running out of time. Okay. okay.
talk about the pilot area. And this is one of the filters that we use to actually screen products before it went into that space. And it looks a little busy when you first look at it. It's a spider chart, but it's actually a very simple tool that we use. And it, it related back to our guiding principles. So if you look at the essential, that was a rating from 0 to 10 that was given by my group, right? So we wanted variable freak drives on all the HVAC. We wanted some uh, controllable lighting, things like that. We gave a score. Then when you went to the business section, of course, everything has to have an ROI. And our goal was three years or less. So our finance team would actually give a score from 0 to 10 based on the financials of the systems that we were looking at. Then a strategy score actually came from our research and development and marketing folks. And again, 0 to 10. So we would total up these individual scores. And we had to have a minimum score of 21 to allow it to pass into the pilot area. And again, I can't stress enough the importance of the pilot area because just because it passed this test and went into the space didn't mean it went to the world headquarters. So our lighting, for example, we had a catastrophic failure of our lighting system. And I can't imagine had that occurred in our 280,000 square foot building, but instead in this small 5,000 square foot space. So a very important tool that we used and we continue to use going forward. Because our project leader had spent many years on the design side of the business, Darren, he knew darn well that we wouldn't be able to open this thing up one day and escort all the people into the new space uh, without some change management and communication. So we worked with Panduit to develop a change management strategy. And, you know, it's very clear that a lot more people were going to be in open plan workstations than private offices. And those workstations would have panels that were only 45, 50 inches high instead of 65 inches high. That would be different for them. And there would be a cafe on every floor. And it would be OK not to take the time to walk down to the main food service. But it's OK to go get a cup of coffee and stand there and talk a little. And finally, it's OK to collaborate. Um, you know, you can get up out of your workstation. You can go over to another one and, 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 and talk to the other team members and collaborate. So we created this five-step process, OK? And the interesting part was is that as we got them through the understand, assess, and write about it implementation is when we began to hand it off to Panduit as the leader, and that's where uh, Darren talks about that process. So I think Kerry alluded to, I, I, I spent many years working on the uh, design side. I'm an ar architect by background, but when I jumped the fence, the proverbial fence, and went on the client side, um, I realized that they really want to know um, why. And, and I think, you know, this is a company of engineers, and they want to see something they can measure. So if you can't measure it, it's not real to them. And, and there's a lot of validity in that. So we really went through an intense uh, survey with that mock-up team. And, and that really helped me down the road to, to validate some of these unknowns. There's a lot of gray area in design. I know that. That's where I came from. And, and they want to know, you know, why are we doing it? Is it essential to the business? And, and what's the strategy involved? And if, if you can't answer those questions, uh, in, in a simple phone call, um, they're going to discredit it, and, and they're going to move along. It's, um, it, it's just uh, 
something I, I didn't realize till I got over that side of the fence. It's uh, quite the learning experience. So um, the next slide I think will really point to um, what, I, what I worked with them when, when we um, took the journey down lead because you know at that point really four years ago they had no concept of lead we were just learning about lead and what what I told them was this is a way to show you um, to show you on a point system um, what you're doing well for the environment what you're doing well as far as a corporation um, and, and and what you're giving back to the people and it was for for me a great guideline and something that I could easily walk through um, the the c-suite to and, and and it to this day pays off dividends because I think rolling to the next slide it it equates then to actual savings and in something that you know electrical that's Kevin and I look at that every month that's 20 to 30 percent of our bill um, you know I, I think roughly we're privately held but we, we spend about 10 million dollars a year globally on electricity and and those numbers uh, grab their attention and anything that we can do to, to lower those, um, it lead really takes you down those, those guidelines. And that, to us, um, is the reason why we went to lead and also why we went to an intelligent building so that as we learn more about the building, we're learning how to kind of drop these, these numbers down. Thank you. That is really uh, our, our program. Thank you. Uh, we have probably enough time for uh, just a couple of questions. If you uh, have a burning question out there, what went over here on the right? Hi, Diana Pizzoni, Ted Moodis Associates. What would you say was your biggest either failure or change or adjustment in the uh, pilot space that you built because of that? So, so, so I'll, I'll feel that um, <laughs> since I'll fall on the sword. Um, that's my role. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's a misconception that sometimes tools and things like if you put a marker board there, that's collaboration. Or if you open up a space and, and you give them low height panels, that's going to enable collaboration. Or if you give them this fancy little thing that hangs on the side of a panel and, and you know, holds a scotch tape nicely, no offense to, to Hayworth, but um, that's, that's not collaboration. So what I've learned is you got to really give them the tools, see which ones they choose, and then ask them afterwards, was it an effective? And, and how, how did, what value did it bring to you, you know, to your business? And, and that's really what I learned was not to make any assumptions, but only, you know, use the results of, of the actions that, that they did. Thank you. I think we have another question in the center of the room. Uh, Rick Page from U.S. Bank. Uh, just from the, from the onset of the germ of an idea to do this, to completion and move in, what was the timeline and how much of that time did you spend in the executive onboarding process with the concepts of lead on, the, on sustainability and some of these new work kind of concepts? So I'll, I'll, I'll start, um, and, and maybe Carrie could add to it, in that, you know, the, the, from initial thought to completion, it was about four years. Um, from that four years, the first couple of years, we really spent walking, walking our internal group through the, the why we need it, and can we reconfigure our existing locations. We did 
I think, 180 different plans through two years of how we could re-inhabit our space um, before we made a decision to, you know what, this just is going to work. And then we brought on Gensler, and I think it was from the point of Gensler being brought on as a first consultant to completion was about two years with an 18-month um, construction cycle. Yeah, there was um, probably a year's worth of getting ready, uh, visioning, uh, strategy, uh, programming, uh, master plan before we actually said, okay, we're ready to go with the building. I think uh, one of your questions too, Rick, was the lead process. And, and you know, we started out with the goal of platinum. All right, we said, well, can we do platinum? And I think when, when the team saw, you know, that extra cost and those extra steps, I always kid that you practically have to process waste on your site. Um, and to get that platinum, um, it's a little hard to get there. All right, so they were very happy to be at the gold level. And that really went on uh, several months, if up to a year past move-in. It takes that long to get all of your documentation in, approved, and then the certificate. I think we have one final question on the left side. Thanks. Uh, Jeff Go with UGL Services. In respect to the acquisition cost of the site and the building and construction cost, what percentage of those tax incentives how big a role did that play in your ability to look beyond the normal financing and maybe achieve a little better final result? <laughs> so so uh, Panduit's, un Panduit's unique in that, um, you know, we're privately held and, and we're, we're funded uh, internally. So, so, so we do not typically um, go out for, for loans. Um, we work we work as our own bank, and so so what part did it play? I think it played a big part in that um, you know uh, really because we were looking for 30 years, but not only um, looking to to grow the building and the site, but grow the the population, and and we were looking at, at different business models, and 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 that's where it starts to play. And it wasn't so much as funding the the site. And, and land acquisition as much as funding our future employee growth. I don't know if you would agree with that. So I, I, I think it, uh, it, it definitely um, played a, a big part, but more on a growing as a company. Let's give our panelists a big hand. Thank you so much for your continued attention. Thank you again to our speakers and everyone for coming today. Please remember to fill out your surveys and a copy of the presentation will be on the website tomorrow. Thank you.